Let's go ahead and dig into our, our message today. Um, I want to forewarn everybody in case you may want to decide not to be here. Uh, I am going to be talking about hell today. We are in a series dealing with life after death. And uh, this is my least favorite subject that I'm going to be dealing with. I'm not excited about this message. Uh, I am excited for the conclusion, but I'm not excited for what I'm going to have to share with you. So if you have children and you're not comfortable for them to hear some of these things, we're going to be a little bit deep. And so I don't blame you one bit if you wouldn't want them to hear these things. So that's entirely up to you mom and dad. So let's dig into all of this this morning. Um, We are in week three of a four-week series entitled Life After Death, and this series is about eternity. It is about eternity. Now, talking about life and death can be scary. It can be uncomfortable. It could be overwhelming to some, but let me fix this because that noise is going to drive me nuts if I can. But one of, one of my responsibilities as your pastor is to, to have you prepared for eternity. How bad would it be if all I did was to have you focus on these 50, 60, 80, 100 years that we have lived to live this life and have never talked to you about eternity and have never talked to you about what God has in store for all of eternity for every single human being on the planet. The, the theme verse of our series is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. By the way, all of our scriptures, if you don't have your Bible with you, if you not following along uh, with us online, then you can, um, you can get it all here from the screens behind me. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, and it says these words, <clears throat> that he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, this scripture is saying is that God has hardwired every one of us, every human being on the planet with eternity in our hearts. And that means for all of us is that we know that there's more to this life than just this life. We know that there's more to this life than just this life. So week one, our takeaway on week one of our series is what you believe about eternity determines on how you will live your life today. Week number two, we, our takeaway on that was, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? And the answer to that was last week, and he doesn't send people to hell. And the, uh, the projection is going to say that people by the free will, uh, people by their free will uh, choose, and, uh, choose to reject God if they want to, and then send themselves to hell. They choose whether they want to believe God or not, and should they not believe it, they're sending themselves to hell. Pretty tough statement, but it's what the Word of God declares. And week three of the series, as I've already said to you, it's my least favorite of the, the four weeks that we're going to do. I, I want to hint to you that I may be doing five and six weeks. I'm not sure yet, but I've got a couple more thoughts going in my head, so we may go a little bit longer than the four. But this is the least favorite of all that I'm going to doing, going to be doing today. Today, really, what I want to talk about is the reality and the indescribable horrors of hell the indescribable horrors of hell. So pastor, why are we gonna talk about hell? Because if we don't accept the reality of hell, we will never appreciate the glory of the gospel and of the goodness of our savior, Jesus Christ. I wanna give you a quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, who's an atheist that has turned to a believer, he says these words, he wrestles with the whole idea of hell and concludes, he concludes that God does not send anybody to hell. I willingly believe, he says, that the damned are in, uh, are in one sense successful rebels to the very end, that the doors of hell are locked from the inside to enjoy forever the horrible freedom from God that they demanded, to enjoy 
the, for, uh, to enjoy forever the horrible freedom from God that they have demanded. Just so you know, this message for me is really tough. This is a really tough message for me to talk about. I take no pleasure at all talking about the devil, talking about hell and all that's going on in that place, uh, but it's a message that needs to be said. And the only hope that I have this morning in this message is that maybe some, some of us who are here in this room today, some of us would possibly commit ourselves to Christ so that we don't have to experience what we see within the scriptures dealing with this place called hell. And I also believe that it was a tough message for Jesus to speak about as well. But Jesus did preach about hell. In fact, Jesus actually preached about hell some 33 times. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And I believe that he did that. I believe he did that because Jesus didn't want a single person. He didn't want a human being to ever end up in this place that is called hell. So obviously, Jesus had been filled with compassion to keep uh, people from going there. Uh, so Jesus would lay down his life, and he would die for our, our sin and our salvation. And then because of, the, because of all of that, what God had done for you and I, he would take us to that place where we don't have to go to hell if we don't want to. You and I can have that faith. And Jesus would want us to be free of this indescribable, horrific place that is called hell. Now, the Bible, the Bible talks about hell 167 times. I'm going to be giving you just a couple of stats as we're going through this. The Bible talks about hell some 165 times, yet many theologians believe, um, uh, uh, many theologians don't talk about this anymore. Many pastors don't talk about this anymore. Many denominations have nothing to do with this as well and are dancing around the subject. They don't want to talk about this, and neither do I, honestly. This is the first time since 2009 that I've spoke on what I'm speaking on right now. But one of the recent surveys that really bothered me, I'm gonna give you a couple of stats here. Uh, many do not, many pastors, preachers, leaders, denominations, they don't wanna talk about hell. So we find here that some of the stats are something like this. 35% of Baptists do not believe in a literal hell. 54% of Presbyterians do not believe in a literal hell. 58% of Methodists do not believe in a literal hell. 60% of Episcopalians do not believe in a literal hell. Even though the Bible speaks of hell some 167 times and Jesus himself would preach 33 message of hell that we know of, that we know of in the scriptures. Maybe he preached a whole lot more. Maybe he did 133 times. But what we have in the scripture are 33 times that Jesus would talk about hell. In the same survey a couple of years back, this is alarming to me. It's frustrating, alarming to me. 71% of the students... 71% of the students, 71% of the students in the eight leading seminaries preparing for ministry in the United States of America don't believe in a literal hell or heaven. 71% in the eight leading seminaries preparing for ministry in the, in the United States of America don't believe in a literal hell or heaven. And the reality is, is if you don't believe in hell, then you can't believe in heaven either. Because the Bible speaks about both, and Jesus talked to us. He told us about both heaven and hell. So let's dig. Go with me to Luke chapter 16 in your Bibles, Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells us about hell. And you need to understand the story that Jesus tells us is true. 
It's absolutely a true story. It is for real. It is true. Now, the reason why I can be confident as I say these words is because the Bible does not introduce this story and say something like this, and Jesus spoke a parable to them. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. It's also, it's not a simile. In other words, Jesus is not saying while he's telling the story that it is like, it is like. He's not, he's not talking that way. He's not saying those things. Jesus is telling a true story, and we know that it's true because of a couple things. First of all, first of all, Jesus. Now, Jesus is telling a story, Luke chapter 16. Jesus says these words. First of all, he says these words. He says, there was a certain rich man. There was a certain rich man. That word uh, certain, of course, is an adjective, and it is without a doubt talking about that individual. It is speaking specifically about that. He is known or he is set. Another thing that Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying there was a certain beggar. Again, there is a certain beggar. We, we know for sure that these two people are real. And by the way, his name is Lazarus, and he is not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead when he had, when he had died, had been dead for, uh, what was it, four days? Correct? Give me a yes or no. Four days, yeah, okay. Go with me to Luke chapter 16. Let's go there. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, <clears throat> beginning with verse 19. And says these words, there was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at, the, at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Let me stop there right just for a moment trying to prove the point to you that this is a real story. This is not a makeup story. This is not a fairy tale. We've, we're finding it to be here. This In verse 22, it says the word Abraham. Now, most of us know that Abraham is our father of faith. Most of us understand who Abraham is. In other words, he's a real person. Give me a yes or a no. Is he a real person? Yes. He is. And Jesus is talking about that real person. Go with me to Luke chapter 22, uh, chapter 16, verse 22 to 23. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus was in his bosom. So here we're finding the rich man, he has, he has died and he of course is being buried. And verse 23, it talks about that there's going to be torments of hell, torments of hell. Now, I want you to remember the word torment because it's going to be mentioned four different times in these verses that I'm talking to you about. Torments, four different times. Now, Jesus in verse 23, he says the word Hades. Hades, Hades is the Greek word for hell. So Jesus is telling us this real story of hell. He is telling a real story of hell so that you and I would understand what to expect in case people to go to hell. Go with me to Luke chapter 16, verse 24. So keep track of the number of times that we're going to say the word torment. Uh, Luke 16, verse 24. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may help, that, excuse me, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented, I am tormented in this flame. 
We find here that the word tormented is mentioned the second time here. And obviously, Jesus is talking about hell as a place of torment and flame. It is a place of torment and flame. Go with me to verse 25 of that same chapter. And it says these words, and Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. There is the third time now, the variation of that word torment. Verses 26 through 28, let me read that to you. And besides all this, between us and you there is this great gulf fixed fixed so that, that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from there to us. Then he said, I beg you before, uh, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Again, it is being said in verse 28 of this place of torment. Another variation of that word. And let me go to Luke chapter 19, verse 29 through 31. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. The, word, the words Moses and the prophets are talking about the Old Testament. It is talking about the, the, the Old Testament. And he says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he, the rich man said, no father Abraham, but it, it, if one would go, uh, if one goes to him from the dead, they will repent. But he, Abraham, said back to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, and listen to these words, and neither would they be persuaded through one who would rise from the dead. One who would rise from the dead. So remember, remember, this is a story. Jesus is telling this true story about hell. And as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned in this study and what we're doing here today, this should end all debate about the existence of hell, especially for us who are in this room today. It should, it should uh, end all of the debate about the existence of hell because Jesus really is referring to a specific man in verse 23. And it also ends all debate on whether there is a, a place, whether hell is a place of fire or not. It is a place of fire. Verse 24 is talking about the fact that they were tormented in their fire. So please hear this. Frankly, frankly, I don't care. I don't care what other people believe. I don't care what other people think about hell, and especially if they are unbelievers. I really don't care what they have to say because as a Christ follower, I believe that we have to, we have to decide who are we going to believe and who are we going to follow. Can somebody give me an amen? amen. We have to decide where we're gonna be going with all of this. For those who decide to not believe in hell, and maybe you're here today, Maybe you're there with your arms crossed or you're sitting there with your foot patting rather quickly because you're a little bit uptight about the subject. If you're sitting here today thinking that, that uh, you are just not going to, to believe any of this, I can tell you this, my friend. Believe it all that you, uh, don't believe it all that you want. It's not going to change a thing. It is a reality. It is a reality. So the New Testament refers to hell uh, as a place of fire 32 times unquenchable, everlasting, eternal fire, eternal fire. And Jesus refers to hell as fire nine different times. This also, as far as I'm concerned, ends all debate on whether hell is a place of torment or not. Believe it or not, 
Hell is a place of horrific torment forever, forever. If you have a red version Bible, you're going to know that all of the verses that we're reading right now, they are written in red. It is Jesus, the son of God, who is speaking these words that we would understand some of the things of hell. The Greek word for torment has three different meanings. The Greek word for torment has three different meanings. The first meaning is acute pain from disease. Acute pain from disease. I can remember myself laying on this floor right here to my right back in 2012. I can remember when I had these horrific, debilitating chest pains because of coronary heart disease that I was suffering with at that particular moment. I was in torment. It lasted maybe 10 minutes, a couple of them maybe 15 minutes, but I was in terrific, horrific pain in my chest. The second area that, that uh, d- definition of, tor- of torment would be uh, the rack of torture. The rack of torture. The rack of tor- torture was this, this, uh, this thing that had these stakes sticking out of them, these things sticking out of them. And they would stretch a person over those stakes and then begin to push down on that individual so that the, they would be pierced and they would end up being pierced to death. It would be a very slow and a very painful death that would take place. And then the third area that would describe torments would be, describes a fire that is hot enough to burn metal. A fire that is hot enough to burn metal. So in Luke chapter 16, Jesus, Jesus is telling us that people who go to hell uh, are tortured and there is a torment. The torment that they have is as acute pain as a rack of torture and of his intense fire. And the people got that. The people of that day understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. And it was horrific. And it was horrible. Also, I have four les- lessons that I want to share with you for this, uh, for this, from this true story that we need to see. Four different lessons, and I'll, I'll be quick. Number one, the rich man, the rich man was fully conscious and fully aware The rich man was fully conscious and fully aware. Go with me to Luke chapter 16, verse 23, and it says these words, and being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus is in his bosom. The rich man, the rich man has a memory of of what's going on on earth. He's fully aware of what he did and what he didn't do. And he's experiencing very real pain. Perhaps the worst pain for him may have been going beyond the physical pain that he was dealing with, it might have been the pain of regret, that he couldn't go back and he couldn't change what was going to happen from there all the way through all of eternity. Number two, the rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed, irrevocably fixed. In Luke chapter 16, verse 26, it says these words, and beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who would want to pass from, from here to you cannot, nor can those from uh, their pass to us, is what he says. So he's saying it's hopeless. What he is experiencing right now is hopeless. This is how it will be for you for all of eternity. It is hopeless, is what he is saying. There was nothing that he could do to change where he was going. He had no hope at all for change. He didn't ask for it, and he couldn't reverse what it was. He knew that this was his forever, 
what he was dealing with, what the rich man was dealing with was forever for him. Number three, the rich man knew his suffering was just. He knew that his suffering was fair. He certainly complained about the pain that he, would, he, he is in. Who wouldn't? But he never once complained about any injustice that would be coming from God as a result of that. He never, result of that, he never cried out to God, God, this isn't fair. Because evidently he came to some sort of a realization that he hadn't done what he should have done. He hadn't believed what he should have believed. And he hadn't lived how he was supposed to live. For him, it was too late. It was too late. Luke chapter 16, verses 26 and 27, it says, and besides all this, between us and you, there's this great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from, from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. And verse, the fourth and final one is that the rich man begged and he pleaded for someone to help his family know Jesus. He begged and pleaded that somebody would help his family to come and to know Jesus. In other words, to Abraham, please, please send somebody to my family and tell them about the goodness. Tell them about the grace. Tell them about the beauty. Tell them about the forgiveness of God. Tell them. And listen to what Abraham says. In verse 31 of that same chapter, but he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will, will, they, will they be persuaded the one should rise from the dead. How prophetically, how unbel unbelievably prophetically is this man speaking about what we are experiencing right here, right now today. Today in our world that we're living in, they don't care about the Bible. They don't care what God has to say about anything. The main thing is, it's all about me, it's all about us and whatever we want that we find to be fun and exciting. A lot of us think, I don't, I'm not saying in this room, but a lot of us think that hell is nothing but fun. Buddies, parties, sex, all kinds of things going on with no limits. I've asked my wife if she would come and if she would share in these moments right here. I've invited her to be a part of this series so that she would share with you some pretty incredible stories and she'll explain it to you. This is Marianne. You know, the last two weeks... Sorry. <laughs> he, shut, he shut me off before I even got started. <laughs> What's with that, huh? You got power. <laughs> the last couple of weeks I've shared information on what near-death experience is, and I've read you testimony of those who've died and been resuscitated and had a glimpse of heaven and the wonderful afterlife. But today I'm going to give you some information on what is called hellish experience and testimony of those who have had an NDE and gotten a glimpse of hell in the afterlife. Those who've had a glimpse of hell report the same heightened senses that make the heavenly experiences so alive and wonderful, yet here they make the horrific experiences so much worse, worse than any of Earth's evils. A study showing 1,369 near-death experience patients found that 23% of them reported ranging from disturbing to terrifying or despairing. 
People who have had hellish near-death experiences sometimes find themselves pulled deeper and deeper into a profound darkness after their experience. Such a terrifying or despairing experience produced long-lasting trauma and terror for them. The person also feels a lot of shame and a lot of guilt knowing that they've seen hell. They don't want to tell anybody about that experience. Their experience usually involves some of these things or all of these things. Feeling locked or trapped in a dark pit, a cave, or under the earth. Often accompanied by a putrid smell like feces and sulfur and blood. Demonic or evil creatures are often involved, and in some cases, extreme cold, but in most cases, heat and fire. Some have experienced a welcoming committee of beings. I thought this was interesting. Just as the heaven experiences experience this wonderful family reunion and people greeting them, the same is for the hellish extreme. They, they experience a welcoming committee of beings that usher them away from the speck of small light that they see into darkness. Here's a story from Harvard neurosurgeon. His name is Eben Alexander. This is his experience. Eben describes it as this, being in, a, being in darkness, but a visible darkness, like being submerged in mud in a claustrophobic, suffocating kind of way. Grotesque animal faces bubbled out of the muck in the darkness, groaned and screeched as they went by me, and then became threatening. Reptile, worm-like creatures were crowding all around me, went past me, and occasionally rubbed up against me with their smooth or their spiky tails. Then I became aware of it. I became aware of the smell. A little like feces, a little like blood, a little like vomit. It was a biological smell. It was the smell of death. I'm going to read you a story out of Imagine Heaven by John Burke, all the research that he's done. This is a story of a doctor that gave John Burke this story. His name is Dr. Maurice Rawlings. Dr. Maurice did not believe in God or the afterlife when he had a harrowing experience one evening in 1977. While doing a stress test, a 40-year-old man had a cardiac arrest and dropped dead in his office. Three nurses rushed in and began CPR while Dr. Rawlings started external heart massage, but the heart would not maintain a regular beat. This is Dr. Rawlings recalls. I had to insert a pacemaker wire into the large vein. The patient began coming to and coming around, but whenever I would reach for instruments or otherwise interrupt my compressions of the chest, the patient would again lose consciousness, stop breathing, and again die. Each time he regained heartbeat and respiration, the patient would scream, I'm in hell! He was terrified and pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death. In fact, the episode literally scared the hell out of me. After several resuscitations, the man pleaded, don't you understand, I'm in hell. Each time you quit, I go back to hell. Don't let me go back to hell. I dismissed his complaint and told him to keep his hell to himself until I finished getting his pacemaker into place. But the man was serious. How do I stay out of hell, he would yell. Pray for me. He was begging me, pray for me. Pray for him, what? Nerve. I told him I was a doctor, not a preacher. Pray for me, he would beg. Pray for me. It was a dying man's request. 
So Dr. Rawlings drew on the little bit of Sunday school that he remembered from when he was a little boy and dragged to church. Even if he didn't believe it himself, he had the man repeat after him while he continued working. He led him in this prayer. Lord Jesus, I ask you to keep me out of hell. Forgive my sins. I turn my life over to you. And if I die, I want to go to heaven. And if I live, I'll be on the hook forever. The patient's condition finally stabilized. A couple of days later, Dr. Rawlings asked his patient to explain, what, what did you see in hell? You were screaming at me about hell. The patient could not recall any of the unpleasant events. Only pleasant events once, once when he, gained flat, he did flatline again after he had prayed, and these were, these were his rememberings. He apparently saw his body on the floor and them working on him. He also recalls meeting both his deceased mother and his stepmother during one of those uh, death episodes. He said this experience was very pleasurable, occurring in a narrow valley with lush vegetation and brilliant light all around him. And he also saw his birth mother for the very first time. She had died at age 21 when he was 15 months old. This event changed Dr. Rawlings' beliefs about life after death. And after doing his own research, he writes in a book that he wrote called Beyond Death's Door, not all death experiences are good. The unpleasant experiences in my study have turned out to be at least as frequent as the pleasant ones. Thank you, honey. <clears throat> Hell is a very real place. It is a very real place. And so often, many of us are told just the opposite. Even within some people who are in the church. So why are we talking about such a difficult, weighty subject as this? Because it's real. It's real. As much as there's a heaven, there is a hell. And you and I are going to go either to heaven or we're going to go to hell. One or the other. One or the other. The choice is up to you and me with where we spend our eternity. We need to understand that the devil is the embodiment of all evil. Of all evil. Behind every addiction is our spiritual enemy. Behind all abuse, every bit of fear, all pain, all shame. It comes from the prince of darkness. Scriptures declare that the devil is the destroyer, the deceiver. He is the dark angel, the dragon. He is called your adversary. He is the, your tempter, your enemy, the wicked one, the thief. He is the father of lies. Jesus said those words. He is the father of lies, the prince of darkness, the angel of the abyss. Jesus says that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy is what Jesus says. And he is the one to come to steal your joy and your hope and your peace. The devil wants to destroy your health and ruin you financially. He wants to obliterate your marriage, to, uh, uh, your marriage and to hurt and to destroy your children. All of that and a whole lot more. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with the devil. Let me say it again. Hell exists uh, hell exists for God to deal righteously with the devil. Come on, can we give the Lord a round of applause that he is taking care of that <clears throat> for all of us. And taking care of it, he did in Revelation 
chapter 20, verse 10, and it says, the devil, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where, uh, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and forever, forever and forever. Thank God. The reason that we are talking about hell is because what you believe about eternity determines how you live your life today. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today. So listen, we don't need to go and tell everybody about the devil. I'm not advocating that whatsoever. I'm not asking you to go and do that. We don't need to talk about him. But what we do need to talk about every day is about Jesus. Who is, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has done for every single person. Because God did send his only begotten son into our world that if we would believe, we would be saved is what the Bible tells us basically in those verses. We need to reach family. We need to reach friends and fellow workers, uh, 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 students. We need to reach those who are neighbors, those that we know and love. We need to, to share with them the good news the good news, because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, 27, and as is appointed, and, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this is the judgment, is what the word of God declares to each and every one of us. After my open heart surgery on November 5th, 2012, I had no clue. I had no clue that I had coronary heart disease. It was completely, not even a thought in my mind whatsoever. A total of eight different times I was laying on this floor right here and a couple of times at my home with tremendous pain. 98% of my widowmaker was blocked. And uh, it was a wonder that I made it, according to the doctors, in all honesty, is what they said. So after surgery, after surgery was over, the doctor would come through, the doctors, different doctors would come through. They would have their little entourage of, of some of those who were, were uh, learning and, and uh, discovering some things, um, little interns, I guess you would call them, I don't know what they are, but anyhow, I'm not a doctor, I'm not much of a pastor either, but anyhow, um, one, what they would say is, what does this 1%, he, he would introduce me as being, this is the 1% man. This is the 1% man. And they would say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that he's a 1% man? And his response to that every time was that 99% of the people who had what he had would die with their first chest pain, which is exactly what happened to my son. At 40 years old, he died of a massive heart attack. And it was one and only chest pain that we ever were told. His wife never heard anything else. None of us ever heard anything else. And he was right. The doc was right. Realizing that heart disease is the number one killer in our world. <clears throat> I know that there are men and women who don't know today, and maybe even some that are in this room right now, that uh, how close we really are to eternity. We are knocking on death's door, in my opinion, every single day. It could happen at any time. So I, I had then, and I still have it today, this overwhelming passion for people to know the love of God, to give them an opportunity to follow God or to say no to God. If you want to say no to God, that's up to you, man. That's up to you. But I want to have that opportunity. I want to have that opportunity to be able to share with anybody and everybody about that. And I sort of got crazy for a while. Some things that began to happen shortly after my surgery when I was realizing how close to death I really was and all that God was beginning to show me, I, I, I was real, I, when I would hear some certain things that were taking place, it would just wreck me. It would wreck me. When I found out that someone had died, I would go into another room and I would just weep. If I was driving my car, I'd pull off to the side and I would just weep for that individual who I just found out had died. I'm also a, a, a chaplain for the Moyers Corners Fire Department and I deal with death quite a bit as a result of that as well. And at that time, I would just be weeping over that. There would also be a, something on the news. Somebody just got shot and I would, I would intercede on, on their behalf for hours. 
I mean, I just was weeping over the fact that this person is near death as a result of that. And Jesus, do they know you? Do they know you was some of my thought. When I would be driving down a road, I'm on 690 or wherever I'm going. As I see a car pull up beside me and I see somebody, somebody uh, in, in the window, I would look at them and all of a sudden I would just have this overwhelming concern about them. Do they know you, Jesus? Do they really know you? Do they, are, are they okay with their heart? Are, could today be their last day? I mean, I got crazy with some of this. Uh, we, we have, with our core values, we have what we call our three C's, committed, connected, and contagious. We are committed to God, we are connected to one another, and we are extremely, we are, excuse me, we are contagious to our world, to reaching people for Christ. Well, I changed that a little bit, that last part where it says contagious, I changed that to this thing where we would become extremely contagious. And I shared all of that with Vision back a few years ago when, when, we were, when I was going through all of this. And I want to let you know too as well that I told a lot of people about my surgery story. I've told many, many people about this. And I never once did it so that I could get some sympathy or poor you. I did it because at the conclusion of my story that I would tell a lot of people, a lot of people. I've told some of you my story and I've told a lot of people. I would always ask them at the conclusion of all of that. So are you a believer? Are you ready to meet God? Because I wanted them to have that opportunity. I told you three minutes ago that hell exists for God to deal righteously with the devil. Listen, every single person, every single human on this planet are sinful by nature. And we have all sinned and the wages of sin is death is what the Bible tells us. But God, he is holy and he is just. God cannot be holy without being just. Therefore, therefore, hell also exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. Hell exists for God to deal righteously for those who are dead in their sins, who have never repented, who have no regard for God or for those to follow, but would rather follow the ways of the world rather than believing and receiving all that God has prepared for those who would love God and follow God. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, final verse that I'm going to read today. In flaming fire, it says, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse, who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus has done and is saying to every person on the planet, and in particular for me today in this room, and for those who would be listening to the podcast, I believe that Jesus is saying something like this. I'm trying to tell you the best that I can about this place called hell. I'm trying to tell you so that you would understand, so that you would never, never find yourself there. And the choice is yours. The choice is easy. It's very, very simple. It is easy and it is very simple. I'm going to ask if you would please bow your head and close your eyes just for a couple of moments. I want to help you today. If you're not sure that when you die that you're going to go to heaven, I want to lead you in a prayer here in just one minute to believe and to accept that Jesus into your life. You are one decision away for your whole life, for all of eternity to be changed by the love of God and to be changed by the grace of God. But you need to ask God to forgive you. You need to ask God to be in charge of your one and only life. 
Let him be your number one. Let him begin to help you and lead you where he would want to lead you in your life. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you're going to be saved. You will be saved. So while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, please. If you want me to pray this prayer with you and pray this prayer for you, if you want to choose God and follow him, this is simple. It's a very simple thing that I'm going to do. I will lead you in this prayer and I want you to say it either aloud, you don't have to, you can whisper it, you can move your lips, you can say it in your mind. All I want you to do is to connect with God to what you're gonna say in this particular prayer. Are you ready? Because here we go. Dear God, I know I've messed up. I know I've done wrong things. And I ask you that you would forgive me, God. Forgive me and come into my life and become my Lord and my Savior today. And make sure you tell him this. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, because again, I want this to be private so that you wouldn't be embarrassed. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe it's been a number of years since you have, but you just prayed it along with me, I'm gonna ask you, would you just boldly hold up your hand? I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you out. Come on, thank you for over here to my left, over here, over here. Thank you. These in the center row, over here, over here. On my right side. Come on, let me see you over here on my right side. Thank you over here. I appreciate it. Any others? Give me a quick wave. Father God, Again, I'm so grateful for these men and women who are making this decision today. I pray your blessing and grace on each and every one of them. In Jesus' name, amen.